Well, everyone, today I'm with EJ, a serial entrepreneur and most recently known for founding an angel syndicate called Chicago Investment Club. Today, we'll talk more about his investment thesis and how he goes about investing in companies, his due diligence process, and what happens when founders fail to raise a funding round. EJ, thank you for being on the podcast, brother. Thanks for having me, Jason. Glad to be new friends, build on to, yeah, build on our friendship. Looking forward to building that cohesive relationship with you, man. Yeah, let's get started with your story. Then can you walk us through your journey from being a founder to an angel investor? And then how has your experiences as a founder molded your approach to investing in early stage startups? For sure. Um, yeah, I guess I can start with just my background and why I do what I do. Um, lead with purpose. And I grew up in a household with entrepreneurial parents. Uh, my dad, fun fact about me, he was 74 when he had me. So an older guy, um, but he was a Boston businessman um, in the 50s, 60s, had a large food brokerage that ended up being the largest in the nation at one time. And then my mom on the other side of the food business was a farmer in Vietnam and brought her skills to the U.S. when she moved in. Um, when I was about 12, she brought a lot of her family members over through the farm and I really learned like the values of hard work, um, enjoying what you do every day. And it didn't really feel like work every day on the farm as a kid, you know, playing and grabbing fruit whenever you're picking it as well. And so it instilled in me this like creative aspiration to really make an impact and make a difference, but also to, um, to really help others. And so uh, I think what really pushes me and motivates me every day is um, not to be morbid or anything, but my dad passed away when I was 17, 18 years old and he left me a video, which was super special. And after he passed away, I ended up watching it. And his main message, you know, a guy that's almost a century and 92 years old when he passed away was um, help other people. And that's what made him feel like he was really for fortunate in his life. And so that really pushed me on to, um, you know, really motivated route as a young guy um, going into college. I started a commercial pressure cleaning company. Um, and then shortly after moved to Chicago, once I graduated, I had a stint in venture capital um, where I found that I liked being an investor, but I also wanted to get the operating experience. And so I uh, started a community-based parking app in, I think, 2017 that um, had a lot of lessons. It wasn't you know, the most successful startup, but it ended up entrenching me into the Chicago community of tech and really helped me learn what the values of the city were that really aligned and resonated with myself. And so from there, met a lot of folks at 1871. I'm proud to say that we were, uh, my company was the first alumni company or one of the first cohorts uh, in the Pyros Accelerator, where I met a lot of the members in our Chicago investment club group now that were in the same boat, uh, really just pushing to make an impact, reaching that level of sophistication where they wanted to give back to the community and um, make a difference from the investor side. And so with that, uh, in 2021, we started the Chicago investment club. Uh, we invest in um, 
we're pretty industry and geographically agnostic, but we really like to invest in people. I know that sounds cliche, but we really pick people that want to be transparent, that are data driven, and that really resonate with you know being human. And I, I when I interview founders or get to start knowing them and build relationships, as you know, I, I ask questions about who you are. You know, where are you from? What is your family like? And like, how has that impacted you? Because at least for myself, I know that that's what drives me every day. And um, we all kind of take things as we go along. And um, yeah, if you're growing up in a household for 18 years until you go to college, that probably influences you a good amount. So yeah, that's kind of my intro. Super excited to be here and um, glad to glad to really give back to the community in a different way that I haven't before. Yeah. And some of the things you said actually been molded to your investment thesis and that's the lead the leading up question i want to ask you like how has your experiences on being on both sides of the table mold your investment thesis yeah i think the main thing like i said being human um it was really funny as a founder um pitching to investors and friends and trying to get feedback it's definitely one purview or lens and then the moment I change my my LinkedIn, I think to accredited or angel investor, uh, everybody's asking you for money and not asking who you are. And it felt, you know, it felt like a little discouraging to be honest. And so I always come from the approach of let's get to know each other first. If I'm going to make an investment or if my group is going to make an investment, it's because we built a relationship built on trust. And so, um, I always try to recalibrate a conversation when it's focused on money. And I really try to push, let's get to know each other. Like, let's see why you care about what you care about and let's see if it's aligned. And so we, we pitch this people first founder first approach and it's really humans first. And like, let's get to be humans together and spend time and um, really see if we can help each other. And then how do you approach investing in people rather than just ideas? Like what qualities do you look for? I know you talked a little bit about that um, and their teams. Like what are you considering when it comes to investing in startups? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I I would say I like teams. So that's like the first um, single founders. You know, we could make an investment. We have made investments in uh, single founders before, but really I like um I like compliments and, you know, I've worked in several different companies, started several different um, um, companies in different uh, industries and having someone that you can lean on to that compliments you really well is something that really has helped me over the years. And so I can relate to that at the very least, not to say it's the only way, but aside from that, we really appreciate someone who's transparent or a team who's really transparent, overly transparent and proactive. Um, if you're able to, lift up the hood and respectfully show the things that you've done and show your thought process and help me understand what you've done. Um, and really, um, if I'm finding that I'm learning throughout the process, accelerated learning is what I like to say. It really makes me feel confident that the founder is high, like highly capable or has a high aptitude uh, to, to get the thing done. And so uh, aside from that, aside from transparency, collaboration, really being data-driven and methodical in your approach because every day that you go as a startup, um, resources are being expended and time. And I find that 
sometimes the money doesn't burn out before the person burns out. And so uh, that's like one of the biggest things that I've seen over the past few years. And you talk a lot about people first, social equity, collectivist mentality, accelerating the learning curve, like break it down into more details. Like what do those terms exactly mean to you? Yeah, well, I I would say, you know, collectivist, I I treat my new friends, as you could see, as family. And and I really, you know, like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And so working through problems, being patient to be able to understand where someone's coming from is super important to me and to our group. But also people versus, like I said before, being human. Um, I always want to come from a human first approach where it's the relationship before it's not a means to an end, essentially, you know, we, a lot of our investors in our group and myself included, we've chosen to do this route of angel investing because we want to have influence and help people um, that our founders develop both personally and professionally. And I like to say personally first, because when I see someone really accelerating and fitting into their mold, that's what gets me jacked up. And so uh, I think one of the last ones you mentioned was um, accelerating the learning curve uh, as a previous founder and still a founder of, you know, angel fund, but, or angel syndicate, it's, it's still something that we're starting and we're learning every day. And if I can help people accelerate similar to your parents telling you, you know, you shouldn't put your hand on the stove, but then you do it. They try to accelerate your learning curve there and you just happen to burn your hand. And so I believe you have to go through go through the experiences but other times you might not you know it might be legal advice or even though i'm not a lawyer and i don't claim to be but um some level of understanding on this is the way i've seen it done and i've done it before you can take that approach and if you don't it's okay but if you do you might find you're saving some time and some money and so um i don't claim to be an expert in anything (laughs) really it's like i like to sit in the side of being a generalist but I do know I can learn pretty quickly and accel- accelerate someone else's learning just by sharing what I've gone through uh, in my process. Like you already know that one of the reasons why um, I started this podcast is because my main focus or my goal really is to bridge um, founders and investors, like to revitalize um, these relationships. And you did highlight the fact that um, once you publicly told everyone you're an investor on LinkedIn, everybody was just cold messaging you and looking to raise capital, right? Um, Bridging the gap between founders and investors is often seen as a challenge in the startup ecosystem. Can you discuss how you approach building strong relationships with founders you work with and how has that impacted your investment success? Yeah, so our group's pretty early two years, so we we don't have any exits, uh, just to state, um, but we have seen some growth. And yeah, I think one of the main things, bridging the gap between founders and investors, if anyone would just study really great salespeople, it's the same thing. It's not asking to sell a product, it's asking to understand the other person. Um, And so coming from a lens of really trying to understand another person, really pushing um, if it's a cold or warm email that you've done your homework and it shows just by the communications. And so I know, I know I look at my LinkedIn inbox once a week and there's a hundred plus connections or messages and there's probably only two or three 
that really, really did their homework, even if it's email blast or LinkedIn blast that made it personal, that uh, referenced something on my LinkedIn or something that they found over, you know, on the web, wherever. And so just understanding that people are thoughtful, like super thoughtful and engaged, I think is, is a great, great way to do it. I, I heard of uh, one of our portfolio companies is hiring right now. Many of them are. Um, and one particular one is hiring for a salesperson and one, uh, my partner, one of our partners in CIC ended up um, doing a reference check. And in that reference check, once they showed up, the, the salesperson that the candidate ended up having a reference to something that my partner had on his family's website. And that just shows a level of aptitude, thoughtfulness, creativity. You know, so many things speak through that, that I think is really, really undersold because when you talk about founders and investors, it's like, it's like this really, um, really disjointed thing where really it's all about being on the same playing field, trying to understand each other and showing how thoughtful you can really be because you want to work with and be around thoughtful people because then you're not going through some of the hiccups that you might go through. This is a curveball question to you. Like you say a lot of people do reach out to you through LinkedIn, um, through cold messaging. What exactly do founders do negatively when reaching out to you? That- yeah, the easiest one that mm-hmm. um, would like a cold email blast where it's very impersonal and they pretend to be personal or personable. Um, so I can tell this message is a template message that's sent out to me, um, to many other investors. And it, it tries to do a blanket quote or quoting something from your LinkedIn or saying that they've, you know, something's really interesting, but it's so generic that I know that they didn't do that. And when that is the case, you might as well not have sent the message. Um, and I would, suggest not doing you know cold outreach that's a blast of a hundred um and probably just if you have a list of 10 investors or 100 investors spend the time if you're really interested in getting to know them and if it if you are entrenched in the community you probably know someone who knows those that group or those investors to where you might be able to get a warm intro instead and warm intros are always welcome there we go. I like that response. And now moving towards the founders that failed to raise, right? Um, I know in our previous conversation, we talked, you talked about success outside the dollars, right? So what does success look like outside the dollars? And what should founders focus on if they don't raise? Yeah. Um, so success aside from dollars, uh, what I was referring to is revenue. And especially in this day and age, the time where the hyper-focus is on revenue and something that I've always aligned with is Chicago startups typically are focused on early revenue and traction there. So that's something that's always excited me about the community. But if there isn't, where it's a business model that's pretty tough to crack early on, where it's a cold start problem and revenue is something that... Um, might be a little bit more elusive in the early days, you know, six months in, a year in, um, where you're testing out product. Showing traction in other ways, showing your thought process is really important on why you spent certain periods of time um, to run certain tests. And I think if you can show within a year, early stage, a year to two years that you've 
done the homework, have ran certain tests, and those tests have shown some output to validate your assumptions, I think that gets you pretty far, actually. Um, and then you can start working on pricing and um, and revenue generating monetization strategies that get you to that next step. Um, and so I would say for founders that have I wouldn't say failed to raise, but have yet to raise because everybody's getting a no somewhere at some point in, in this. And, you know, I, I know the stats are pretty, pretty rough. It's like getting into Harvard when you raise. And so, um, yeah, if you can really just be methodical in building your data room early on, you know, a lot of early stage founders, this is not something that's taught or coached in a lot of the accelerators um, that I've either helped with or been a part of, but having a, a database of all the things that you've worked on because if you don't have money coming in the bank it's a lot harder to prove that you deserve you know a couple hundred grand to a million dollars and um you know people watch shark tank and they see a lot of the products and demos and that's all well and good but if it's not validated in some way shape or form and assumptions aren't removed then there's typically not going to be an investment that happens what are the signs um, that founders should be aware of when they're building a company? Because there's a good portion of founders that build companies for VCs rather than building companies that solve customer problems. Can you please expand on that? Yeah, um, I can relate to that because I've been in that boat before. Um, you start out, you have a mission, you're really passionate about something and you're starting to do well. You're starting to gain traction, whether it's product wise or uh, removing some assumptions from your business model, um, whether it's early generation of revenue. And then you have a mentor or two that connects you with a VC. You know, this is a typical thing that I've heard in our accelerators. And then the VC is like, oh, I don't know about that space or that specific focus. But if you do this, you might like, we might be able to, um, you know, go through a diligence process with you. And I end up finding when passioners do that, or when founders do that, their their passion becomes misaligned with the actual end result of what they're trying to accomplish. And when you're trying to please someone and uh, like puzzle piece all of this stuff together, it ends up becoming pretty evident that you're not the right person for it unless you are really lucky that you were. Um, and it really is something that is it devalues your efforts because you're not building to make something valuable that's really really um really needed in in the specific market that you're going towards so a lot of people do talk about the positive side of being an investor but for portfolio companies that do need more support what are exactly your processes to helping them accomplish their milestones I would say it's a case by case basis. And I know that's not like the best answer, but it really depends. Um, if someone is struggling with figuring out pricing, then it's running tests and getting a lot of feedback on pricing. If it's something where it's um, getting ready for the next fundraise from seed to series A, and they're having a tough time, especially in this market where um, you know early stage companies are raising, but you really have to be an outlier and um, be that that be another level of of uh of qualified nowadays it seems and so the ones that are really deserving of capital are raising capital i still believe but 
the ones that are kind of in that middle boat that might have raised capital a couple of years ago and are having a tough time now. Um, it's really building the story. And I know you've had Landon on um, on the podcast before, and he's really big into that. And it's understanding who you are, at, like to the core and why you started this and why is it aligned with what you're doing now? Because a year or two goes by when you're at a series A. And so, yeah, um, I would say we, at least within uh, the Chicago investment club, CIC, we have 22 investors that have kind of built a brain trust of different skills, expertise, domain um, specialties where we're able to facilitate different um, mentorship throughout the different life cycles or different um, issues that uh, problems that arise when you're building really. So it's kind of like having uh, an extended army of, of qualified, skilled tech, uh, you know, sales product people that really care about making an influence similar to you making, uh, caring about making an influence or impact in the industry you're working on. At last, what advice, if they were to take anything from listening to this episode today, what advice would you want them to keep in mind? Yeah, coming from a, you know, I, I was my first job in, in Chicago when I moved there was a headhunter. Um, and I have a sales background as well. And all the companies that I've worked with or built, I've been like that account executive relationship building type of person. And it's always going back to being human. I think people really, really stand out when they ask questions. Like, for example, you go to a networking event and people ask what you do. I don't really typically do that anymore because it's so surface level, right? Like you're getting, okay, you do this and it's an easy entry point. But what if you ask like, Hey, where are you from? And you know, what's your family's background? And people end up looking at me like, Whoa, who is this crazy guy that cares so much, you know? And I immediately find that there's a stronger connection every time where you can feel the electricity where people follow up every time or I follow up and I, I continue building those relationships because I end up finding, you know, what, what does their early childhood look like? Whether it was tougher, you know, wherever they grew up, whatever their situation was, um, finding out where their parents are from, a lot of ways we can relate together and um, how that's built both of us up in that conversation throughout time. Well, everyone, that's EJ, founding partner of Chicago Investment Club. EJ, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you. Looking forward to next time. And 